G'day humans, welcome to the safe space for dangerous ideas and what idea could be more dangerous, more insulting, more offensive to the dignity and propriety of we good upstanding citizens than the notion that many of us are walking around with a deep inner desire or curiosity for some deviant fetish to be mistreated or to mistreat others in the pursuit of erotic lust. Uh, this is the theory upon which I suppose all of today's guests' work and life is based. She is one of the world's leading dominatrixes. She would blush at my describing her that way because she thinks she's just doing her thing. But when you're charging tens of thousands of dollars a day, I think you can... Uh, admit that you are you have reached a level of of in an industry that is able to touch people in certain ways metaphorically you don't be dirty i didn't mean touching in that way i meant you're touching people's buttons you're pushing their oh i think that's even getting worse aren't i um why don't i stop talking about touching parts of people that may resemble buttons and get back to the point which is eva o spends her life in relation to other people in a way that I can only barely glimpse and comprehend. I mean, I cannot imagine being the type of person who spends my time getting so raw and intimate with people and taking them into such weird places. And that's such a funny thing for me to say, because in some ways my job, and Eva raises this analogy during our chat, is about exploring interesting avenues in other people's worlds, just not those particular worlds. Until now, Eva is fascinating. I'm not going to talk about her anymore, um, except to say, enjoy this conversation between me and a very, very, very successful dominatrix who goes by the name of Eva O. What do you do exactly? How do you, how do you, what do you write on a customs form when you have to enter a country about what your occupation is? <laughs> manufacturing. Manu- manufacturing. <laughs> and what do you tell people at, at a party when you're, you know, they're open enough to understand roughly what you do, but you don't want to go into too much detail? <laughs> what makes you think I go to parties? <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, like. Person who's you're sitting next to it on the plane who's kind of, who seems kind of open. Oh, if who seems kind of open, I don't know. A plane's something different. But if let's say I go to this figurative party, I'm happy telling people straight away that I work as a dominatrix. Yeah, mm. pretty straightforward. It's easier this way. Yeah, right. And what's their follow-up question? Hmm. If I've already sensed that they're going to be okay with it, it's usually a lot of curiosity. Oh, what's that like? What are the people that you see like? What do you do with them? Uh, those are probably the main ones. Yeah. yeah. And is is specifying dominatrix different from saying that you're a sex worker? Are you a sex worker? I'm a sex worker. Do I 
say it differently. I think if I was still escorting and working in the different establishments, then I would probably use the umbrella term more, but it's just being more specific. Right. So how has your career changed? So it started off in fetish uh, as a dominatrix, working at a brothel in Redfern, Sydney, called Salon Kitties, which has closed. And at the same time, I was exposed to a lot of the wonderful people who were working there and their other jobs, which included working at brothels, working in massage parlors, working as escorts. And I sort of took their crumbs and ran with it and tried out straight work. We kind of differentiated that way, straight versus fetish. I tried that out for a year, but really it was very physically taxing for me in comparison to um, what is, I guess, more mentally taxing in the domination side of things. And so I made a choice. What was physically taxing about conventional sex work? Um, The sex... (laughs) that I I guess I was more so when you're doing escorting you have something called GFE girlfriend experience versus PSE porn star experience and I tend to personally only really know how to do PSE (laughs) even in my personal life and so I just Mm. kind of gunned it went for it and that was my style of working I couldn't really do the I guess the more gentle what is expected of the gfe aspect of things and so i physically just got tired right yeah, yeah. and so I, I assume you ended up with clients who were very into the porn star experience rather than the girlfriend experience as well which probably compounded the difficulty i probably just also hit it all a little bit too much all at once because I was with an agency and I worked in stilettos in Sydney, which is this like massive brothel with like 20, 30, maybe sometimes 50 girls on shift. And it was just like, I'd do this whenever the agency would call me, I'd turn up and then I'd go and do like a night shift at stilettos and then I'd try out the massage work. And so I guess if I think back on it, maybe it was just compounded a little bit. Right too much on top of each other yeah just paint people a a picture of what this life is like as a professional working life because people might not be aware that sex work is legal in new south wales Mm. so it's not like you're in some seedy place that's run by the mafia or something this is uh i mean does this feel like a, a legitimate business just as if you were going to work as a i don't know a dancer or something Oh, not even a dancer. I think if you're working in retail, it's probably, you know, that the, I turn up to stilettos or to, you know, these brothels and they have a little bit of a dress policy. And then they say that you're going to need to do three shifts, eight hours. You can choose your shifts. What's your ABN number? You know, it's it's pretty, it's just your That's business your number. Business number to, you know, to pay the people. goods and services tax to the government on your mm-hmm. sex work. Mm-hmm. This is the rate. This is how you. This is a system of picking up the the money and returning it. We're going to have you know. There's a there's all of these systems, procedures, um, OHNS standards in place because it's a decriminalized space, New South Wales, Sydney, Australia, mm. and so there's just it's like going to any work. Mm. Yeah, and are you working me. on site? Um, are you talking about back then or now? Yeah, back, no, back then. So when in the context of this place. 
the brothels. Yeah. So I was yeah. working in brothels and in every now and then you'd get an out call to hotels mostly, maybe if they're really um, good with the agency, their house. But for the most part, hours spent because it was like required shifts. I was probably inside establishments such as Salon Kitties and the brothel that I was in as well. Mm. And people have made bookings or are there are they walk-ins off the street? A combination of both. When you're new, walk-ins is definitely the thing. They get to just see the new person, um, chit-chat a little bit. And then when you start to have a little bit of a following, it's it's pretty much all bookings. Mm. You don't and they're asking to see for a you walk-in because they know you. Uh, because there's a certain rapport that they've identified with because, yeah, that's probably mostly the reason. Mm. And what was your attitude towards walk-ins? Did you like them? What was the experience of sort of seeing someone who you've never seen before and feeling like they're making a judgment about you and then going into this intimate experience with them? <laughs> I'm making a judgment about them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all's fair. <laughs> I mean, right, if, you, if I didn't want to see them... I wouldn't have to, you know, there's a receptionist there. She'll just say, I'm sorry, she's just not available anymore. And that's that. But Right, I see. So if you this, see someone... I mean, whenever we meet anyone, we're making a judgment, you know, what's the difference no, of course. to me? Well, the difference, the difference would be if you were in a context in which you weren't able to back out after you saw them and didn't like them. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not an option. Yeah. Yeah. So you can or you can't? Of course, uh, you can back out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, essentially, you're an independent entity. You know, you're a sole trader, and the house is providing you these services, and you're giving them a cut to provide these services for you, which is the receptionist, which is the facility, which is security, and so they're serving you. Also, it's a mutually beneficial thing. And if I don't want to see somebody, they're not going to make my life difficult because it's not going to mm, be good for mm. anybody. So. Of course. So and so goodbye. what yeah. what would the what would a person I mean what would be a tell for you that this is someone who maybe you don't want to proceed with? I think it's so different from person to person. What made me say no before? Uh, I I haven't said no actually in so many in too many instances. When I felt inexperienced, uh, when it comes to fetish, there's a lot of different technical skills that are necessary. If I felt like I'm not going to be able to deliver, this is just not my thing. I would recommend this person. That's probably more likely to happen than I get right. a bad vibe or something. Yeah. And you were always into fetish from the beginning. No, I didn't even know about it until I walked through the doors. <laughs> so what speed you in that Naivety gets you very far sometimes. Um, so many, many years ago, maybe 15 over years ago, a partner of mine was, I was just talking about the contents of the day ahead of us and what I needed from it and from him within it and he just jokingly said to me oh you'd make a great dominatrix it was kind of like a dig at how assertive I was being I think I didn't really have an idea of what that image was I just maybe saw it in a movie but when I I got back to Australia and I started this agency job and it really didn't sit with me very well and I thought all right 
what am I going to do? I'm just going to dig through my mind. There's this little bit of information. Let me just throw it into Google. And the first thing that came up, I think it was even like a Google ad, was this BDSM establishment. And it was, we are looking for mistresses to train. And I just called them, made an appointment to get an interview, and that was it. Yeah. Mm. How does the training begin? (laughs) It begins at the interview. (laughs) It was already an enlightening interview. It was the two people who owned it, um, headmistress Amanda and her husband, David. And they were already asking me questions like, uh, have you done sex work before? And I'm like, this is sex work. So ignorant. (laughs) And do you do full service? What is full service? (laughs) Uh, It's like, all right, just start, just start. And if you're not going to work out, we'll know within two weeks. And so I just started. And the training was that you sh- shadowed full people. Full service is to have penetrative sex with somebody. Yeah. Mm. That's so yeah. you can and do it. You can of, be a dominatrix without that. I would say the majority of sessions don't include it at all. Mm-hmm. At all. Yeah. There's just so much going on that it's almost an afterthought. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And what worlds are included in that innocent phrase, there's so much going on, uh, Eva. Yeah, (laughs) that's a Pandora's box to open. Uh, So what is going on? I like the box. The box is fun. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A lot of things that entertain me endlessly in a way that I probably won't be able to turn away from. Yeah. So things in the physicality like bondage, like anal play, and like golden showers, like protocol, telling people to do certain things, crawl in a certain way across a room. Um, But psychologically, things like understanding people's vulnerabilities and how they want to be toyed with in those particular ways, how they want those vulnerabilities to be poked upon, how you could do that, how you can create worlds for them in power struggles and of dominance and submission to entertain ourselves and fulfill fantasies. So there's a few things that are possible. And so what's the general template, if you can generalize, of the fantasy of somebody who's coming to a dominatrix? So it's going to be different if you're going to come to somebody who is in a perceived position of power dominatrix mistress as opposed to if you're just going to like a fetish worker because I think you're looking for somebody who is in a powerful position over you so that is going to initiate the session that's going to show you what you need to do that's going to tell you that's going to be explicit in terms of what you need to deliver and tell you exactly how I think there's um, an investment in the power dynamic when somebody seeks a dominatrix. Um, And then the things that can come from there are their specific kinks and fetishes that are coming from who knows where. They just have a particular predilection for wanting to be next to a high-heeled shoe and to be told to kiss it. You know, it could be really anything in the realm of Mm. not widely socially acceptable uh, interests. Are they wanting to be degraded? Sometimes. Not always. Sometimes. 
Although I would say humiliation is probably um, what a lot of people tend to gravitate towards or to request. But that means such different things to so many different people. Like how to get there can look very different. But that mm. feeling of discomfort and feeling smaller than maybe the world says you need to be or that you're telling yourself, I think is that little moment is probably what a lot of people do gravitate towards. Right. And is there the reverse? Like what's the opposite of a dominatrix for, I mean, the the person who's coming in who wants the reverse power play, who wants to be the person who's in a mm. position of humiliator? Yeah, so there's definitely services for these as well. So you're no- normally looking for a submissive insert identity here. Yeah, so mm, it's yeah. just, mm, yeah, you're looking for a submissive provider. Mm. That's never appealed to you? Um, I definitely saw some people doing it in the BDSM establishment where they were also doing both sides of the power play. Uh, I was open to it at the beginning, but I found it a bit comical. <laughs> like uh, they would ask me to do certain things in a certain frame of mind and uh, or with a certain tone and I'd just like. I'd find it amusing rather than something that I would want to obey or listen to. That's so funny. I'm open, but I had and never heard the tone of voice that worked for me yet, I guess. Right, right. And you don't find it amusing to do the reverse, to be the dominatrix. I definitely find it a bit camp sometimes. You know, when I say something, I I laugh at myself all the times because it sounds fairly ridiculous. But it's also a thrill, yeah, to say something and see it executed. Oh, yes, themselves, them, me, and everything right. that's happening. Does that it's ever, part does of that how ever I operate. The, does that ever shatter the illusion for them? I mean, they want you to be this, this powerful dominatrix and you acknowledge the absurdity of what's happening and that takes them out of the moment? Well, it's my moment. I don't care if it doesn't work for them. They can find somebody <laughs> else. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't take the power away. What is wrong with joy? You know, it's I'm still in that position of who I am. Just because I feel joy doesn't take away from that position. Not to me. Right, right. Yeah, but there's a difference between joy and sort of acknowledging the inherent absurdity of what the two of you are, are doing with each other. Isn't there? I mean, but such is life. You can laugh at life and the absurdity of it at any time. Does it take away from the potential magic or difficulty or challenge? No, it's just a part of it to me. Yeah. No, I guess not. I mean, maybe I have a cliche of what your clients are like that maybe they're looking for. I assume that they're looking for something that's earnest. I I guess uh, different clients are going to gravitate towards different providers and uh, how honest you want them to be about the scenario is maybe just how you're going to choose and how you're going to rebook or not rebook. Um, yeah, for the people yeah. who I tend to see over and over again, I guess they are happy with the color and the, the mm. different layers mm. that can be part of an experience, perhaps. I'm not sure. Yeah. So how did you grow out of the brothel? No, I got exhausted. That was the primarily tiring place because I was able to be f- pretty much fully booked the whole shift, which means you see 
you know, if one person an hour and you're working for eight and maybe you'll push into 10 hours because you're on a streak, that's like 10 people. 10 people with the attitude where I'm not, I don't really want to, you know, be a girlfriend and pander to that. It's tiring. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just like slamming it out for 10 hours. It's fun, but it's exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. And was there a way of dialing back the hours there or you just felt like that was not the place for you anymore? What happened? What happened? I think that I started touring and, you know, it's also just a matter of seeing how the profits are working. I think that my domination side of things was just taking off financially and I saw that it required um, less exhaustion in a way. So I just went with that. More sustainable. Mm. 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 And was there a point at which you sort of thought, wow, this is actually, I mean, this is becoming not just a thing that I'm maybe doing temporarily to learn the ropes and earn some money. I'm actually really good at this and this is, I'm going to be in the top echelon of this field. Oh. <laughs> to think I'm really good at this. Have I thought about that? I only really started to think that when I've worked with people recently, like in the last two years. I've been doing this for maybe 11 years now. And I never really saw myself in... Uh, relevance to others until I started working with them and thinking, oh, actually, I'm pretty quick. I'm pretty good at this. I'm pretty shit at that. Uh, So you start to get an understanding. Am I in an upper echelon? I don't know. I think that for some reason, you know, like interviews like this, they come my way and they make me like out there. And so people have an idea that I may be in an upper echelon, but who knows? I'm sure there's a lot of people who are very quietly doing brilliant things in mm. all sorts of deviant corners of the world. <laughs> Speaking of yeah. very quietly, uh, the mm. clients who you normally have now who are loyal clients, are these, like, mm. what's, is there an archetype? Who, who are they? Mm. So because of the price point, it's become older, rich, white men. But at the beginning, when it was like 75 for a half an hour foot worship session, it was really everybody. I, so now it's only skewed because the world is financially skewed. And so right. redistribution. So what do you charge, can I ask? Well, I don't really do hours anymore, but if you broke that down, it would be about a 1,000 um, USD an hour. Right. Mm. And you travel Until around to these people. Do they, do they tend to be... Like, do they tend to be married and they're doing this on the side? Do they tend to be single? Is it a, an even split? The ones who are able to dedicate the most time are usually divorced. Yeah. Uh, the ones who are married are long time loyal, but they're not able to spend that much time. Clearly, they have right. other priorities. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Do you have any moral qualms about doing it with married men? It's something that I think about and that I have. I feel like marriage is an interesting institution in itself that I have some questions about. That they've chosen to step into that is their choice, that they choose not to communicate this side of themselves and to include it in their relationships. It's their choice, and I'm in a segment that is happy to satiate 
this desire that they're not sharing elsewhere. Sometimes they do share it with their wives. Sometimes their wives send them to me. So it's, Mm. yeah, it's all over. It's all over the place. People relate in different ways and they see the institution in different ways. And it's just very complicated. I just serve a purpose for a short amount of time. And that's that. I'd love to hear that conversation between the wife and the husband when she's sending them to you. She's like, for fuck's sake, just go and find somebody who can do this for you. I'm not into it. Well, there's that or there's, um, I would like you to do this, 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 and this with him. <laughs> yeah, right. Make sure he doesn't shower and send him back dirty. <laughs> All right, so I see. So you're actually the prepper to create the scenario that the wife would prefer. Oh, it's, it's, I guess it's different ways, things they don't want to do, things that they want to have done and settled. Uh, it's, it could be anything. I'm not really mm. sure how they handle it. I just see the notes. Yeah. And you just talked about your purpose. What do you see your purpose as? Purpose is a funny thing for me. I think it's, uh, it's um, crafted. Yeah. I think that do I feel like there is a purpose? I'm, I don't think I'm driven by this ultimate destined purpose. I think I create different ones for myself over the years, depending how things shift. What's my current one? I think I enjoy a sense of peace and that the people who are close to me are well looked after. And that's probably my current focus. Right. And what's your purpose for yeah. your client? Well, for the client. I think what is that? that it can probably becomes more uh, nuanced if I know people over time. And so I'll probably have different ideas of goals that I want for them, that I hope for them. Because we end up having relationships, right? Because these are people I've known for years and I know on such a vulnerable level and I know about their lives and the things that they're probably missing out on in terms of ways that they could be better fulfilled. And so I, I wish the best for them, whether you can mm. coax them or coach them. I don't think that that's entirely possible. I don't really want that weight. That's not my job, I don't think. But I just, I guess at the base level, I just hope that everyone has a good time. Yeah. Are there some clients with whom you only speak? Like that I want I to do anything about? only speak. So I would say that because I spend about three days with a client, I might play with them once, like in an intimate setting, and then there will be a power dynamic throughout, but maybe not right. any explicit play. So, I mean, what's that? 99% of the time, 90%. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to other people who just want to chat and not actually play, I mean, that's the online sphere, Right. And that's a huge yeah, right. sphere. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I have an OnlyFans. I don't go on it too much, but I chit chat and all we do is chit chat. So there's this happening in my life. I have this particular fantasy. What do you think that is? You know, it's just indulging that side of them without ever touching them. So there's lots of people. Yeah. Like interesting. Too. Yeah. Mm. Like, a, I mean, it's almost like part therapist. Mm. People tend to enjoy to make that parallel. I think that human connection, understanding, vulnerability can be therapeutic, but until you're actually trained, I really hesitate to use that kind of language. Mm. 
Well, you're allowed to be bashful about it because you don't want to step outside of your your uh, your expertise area of expertise. But if people are spending hours and hours sharing their deepest uh, and most private mm. uh, things with somebody, and they're getting something out yeah. of that, then that broadly falls for me under under the colloquial umbrella, at least. And so, how do you differentiate mm. the girlfriend experience from the porn star experience if so much of what you're doing is providing these people with the sense of a confidant well the gfe versus pse was happening when i was escorting and especially when i was in the brothels nowadays that doesn't really intertwine in what i do in the domination i would say that how it looks these days is almost like i'm a sugar baby (laughs) but in a domination power dynamic right I would say that's yeah. probably what my business model looks like now, if there's lack of a better phrase. And what's a sugar baby? Sugar baby is somebody who classically will meet a sugar daddy, sugar mommy, and that daddy mommy will provide for the sugar baby, and the sugar baby will like kind of trade in dates sex, time, texting, and this is usually negotiated on a relationship basis. So I would like to see you once a week and I will look after your phone bills and pay your rent. And so, you know, all of these can look quite different, but essentially it's a mutually beneficial relationship where one party is financially giving the other remuneration for their time, their efforts. and. I would say that if I look at what I'm doing now, I'm spending all of this time and there are these relationships that are forming, but there is that financial element that I've negotiated mm. at the beginning of all of this. So I don't really see any other doing bit, this right now. Can you just speak a bit closer to the mic again? Uh, you're dropping Yes, swallowing the mic. Swallowing the mic. Um, that's interesting because we're familiar with the the sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship, uh, at least when there's a sort of a power imbalance between uh, people who are not mm. formally codifying their relationship as being financial, but everybody sort of understands the subtext. Um, and yet you're able to, because you're overt about it, I guess you're able to run several of these relationships concurrently and mm-hmm. benefit from all of them. What is a benefit and what is a detriment? <laughs> um, so far, well, so good. <laughs> yeah, exactly, that's right. Yeah, so far, so I good. I mean, will there, come a, will there come a point at which the the benefits are outweighed by the downsides? Mm. I mean, they're human relationships, so it's great to have the social connection it's the money is really helpful, useful, powerful for my life. Mm, is there a point where I'll cut it off? I mean, the ones who I'm very close to, I probably will never cut them off if, as long as they understand where they are and don't cross, you know, just healthy emotional boundaries, because they've they've become a part of my life, and they know me almost as well as I know them. So, yeah. And are you taking know. on new clients? I don't know. Not really. 
Not really. If people find out a way to get in contact with me, which, you know, I have my email out there, but for some reason people don't, they try all sorts of in uh, like social media ways and I don't answer those. <laughs> so if they manage to actually email the old fashioned way and ask very politely, I'll take lunch with them for $2,500. And if I like them, then I'll invite them for an afternoon for 5000 And then they can pay me 10000 per day from there. And then mm. if they can do that repeatedly and they're healthy about it, as in psychologically boundaries, then I'm happy to accept them into the fold. But, you know, that happens very, very rarely now. Fascinating. I mean, in that case, mm. I guess when I ask, will you, will the downsides ever outweigh the upsides? The, I mean, your career mm. to some extent will have an automatic shelf life because if you're dealing primarily with older males and mm. you're not re mm. re replacing them, uh, they'll age out. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry to be the pair uh, of bad news here, but uh, I, I see this business model as having a, a finite, <laughs> finite window. I just saw myself at like the supermarket checking the expiry date for a moment when you were saying those <laughs> words. I mean, we're, we're all aware of this. It's something I talk about. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember her. Uh, used to wine and dine with the best of them, and they all died. Uh. <laughs> they they already know that this is going to happen, and I've already have plans for them. I've told them to put it in their in their will, if possible, that Ooh. I'm going to make them into diamonds, and I'm going to carry them with me. So that's you know, nice. We have, we have plans. There's a plan. They'll that's still cool. they'll still give me something. Look, but, um, make them into turn them into yeah, turn yeah. each of them into two diamonds uh, and carry I one know. of the diamonds with you and sell the other. To <laughs> fund your lavish retirement. Look at you! I'll call you when I need to switch my business model up again. <laughs> exactly. Stick with me. <laughs> Um, so, and, so let's just yeah. talk. Let's just talk briefly about that one percent of the time that you're spending when you're actually doing porn, the porn star experience in a physical way, and you're actually engaging in the mm -hmm. in the sex work itself. What are there? I mean, to people who are familiar with vanilla sex, sex. Mm -hmm. Are we talking about things that involve, I mean, do they have affection for particular objects? Do they have fetishes for inanimate things? What do you, Give us a, a sort of a snapshot of the range of experiences that we're talking mm. about. So to clarify, we use girlfriend experience and porn star experience to describe vanilla sex Um Transactional experiences in the domination world will just say we're doing a session or, you know, it sounds such, so much less interesting. we got to think of something better. But what does happen is you're going to discuss the things that they're interested in. And that can sometimes be inanimate objects, but most likely on a person. So a stiletto is a huge object of affection, but when it's being worn often, um, or maybe they're into a specific type of leather bondage that they want to be in a straight jacket and thrown into a prison cell, or maybe they have this medical fetish and they want to be poked in a certain way or be made to fill out a form and feel terrified for what's ahead of them. It could be such a range. It's like, and these things shift also. They can pick up on an experience and start to uh, sexualize something around that. They might also be very stressed and then a particular 
thing that they're interested in when they're only very stressed comes out. So these things change all the time. So normally we will open a session with what might we be interested in exploring with today? And how are you feeling about how far we could take that? And remember what your safe word is? All right. Uh, and this is how I run it. Obviously, some people plan far ahead of time, but I'm a little bit more um, spontaneous. And then I'll just end up working my way through these things that they've spoken about being interested in or that I feel like I want to explore. And kind of, I prefer to weave people into a state of loss of somewhere else and then slowly untangling them out of it. That's what I, I tend to do, mm. what I prefer. Mm. How do you do that? How do you untangle them? When I first started, um, one of the other mistresses showed me an easy trick of at the end of the session, she would bring them a glass of water and it would introduce them to the fact that it's not about you just doing everything for me. It's about me being able to do something for you and to think about your welfare in this kind of overt way again. So there's lots of things that can be done. It can be you know, like, you know, you are somebody who speaks to a lot of people when you have to close a conversation, you want them to move on. Sometimes you just ask, so what, so what's happening for you next? Bring them out, bringing them out. There's just right. so many little ways that you can start to weave them out of a headspace, out of where you've taken them. Because also if you just snap them off from the middle of everything and drop yeah. them back yeah. into the world, it can be very difficult, problematic, and not sustainable for anybody. So you right. want them to come back. You got to look after them. Yeah. What is their state of mind when they're at their most heightened state of arousal? Like, are they Are they tender and vulnerable? Are they raw? Are they empowered are they demeaned are they like if you were to drop them at their you know at the most irresponsible time to do so what state would I find them in <laughs> everyone looks a little different but everybody is at their most vulnerable state yes but it comes right. out differently yeah time of day type of person is there a favorite state for me I think uh frenzy shock disbelief and almost a total lack of awareness of who they are and their place in the world. I think that's my favorite state to see. Mm. I like that. Yeah. And do you, do you notice yourself noticing that they're heading towards that and realizing that you're on oh. the right track and is, is the joy oh, of yeah. your job following that, those breadcrumbs and finding that spot? Absolutely. I mean, some people ride roller coasters, you know. I I create them in minds and ride them. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> it's funny I love roller coasters, but I've never done uh, BDSM. So, you know, maybe there's yeah. just a hidden uh, sob somewhere inside me that's just like, wee! Well, I think um, you get it out of this job. You're talking to people all the time. You've got to, like, ride the, ride where they're going, create paths. It's similar, I would say. Well, it, it, that's interesting that you say because, yeah, a lot of people don't understand that the actual craft of uh, having conversations is that there's mm -hmm. a, a you know a whole set of tree branches in front of you at every point in time with an infinite number mm -hmm. of things 
that you could pursue and areas that mm. you could explore. And the skill is in never getting it perfect, but like probabilistically getting better and better at picking the branches that are likely to yield the most interesting conversations. And that's not that dissimilar, I assume, from what you're doing constantly when you're with a client. Yeah, sometimes I wonder whether I'm blindsiding myself, but, you know, how how much can you cover, really, as long as I'm still getting some sort of thrill and benefit from it and I'm paying my bills and then some, I'm okay. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it sounds like you're getting a lot more out of it than that. I am, but but I think it's the core that's probably what is the most settling for me, those core bits of foundation. Yeah. Mm. Are there moments where you think you're heading towards that state of frenzy and shock and disbelief that you're shooting for and you don't quite, you never quite find it, that there's always, uh, there's some inhibition Maybe the client just isn't oh. willing to go there. You, you you find yourself groping around, and and it's not it's not quite landing. Yes, of course, of course. But I can see the struggle, and then I know why we're not getting there. So it's not like I'm like, oh, why didn't I get it? Why didn't I get my hit? <laughs> it's right, just right. more like, okay, I wonder what's happening. That that's so hard to do. I hope mm. that they get to find it some other time. Yeah. Sounds a lot like therapy. <laughs> is it? Mm. <laughs> I think yeah. this is more fun. <laughs> yeah, maybe more fun. Yeah, yeah. The, but, you know, you're, Better you're essentially... <laughs> That's true. Uh, you're essentially diagnosing what is what the blockage is in, in, you know, in between what someone claims to want to want and what they're actually experiencing. Okay. All right. You know, yeah. and you're trying yeah. to fix that. You're trying, yeah. to, you're trying to release that blockage and you're trying to get them to a place of, I don't know, I don't want to labor the, the, uh, the analogy, but to uh -huh. a place of some kind uh -huh. of almost spiritual, like awakening or enlightenment. Right. Okay. That so does the, that mean that therapists are like, um, are also emotional sadists? Well, are you a sadist? I would say that there's a part of me that is um, emotionally sadistic. Yeah, that wants to drive people to these very difficult places. Hmm. I mean, <laughs> I guess you can be a short-term sadist and a long-term benefactor, right? I mean, you, you, the process of allowing someone to get in touch with things that are unavailable to them might require mm. some breaking down of them. And and a good therapist can participate in that in the interests of opening yeah. someone up to uh, a higher vision of themselves. Yeah, I don't know if I'm so visionary. I definitely don't want to leave people broken, but I don't mind uh, breaking as a part of the process to enjoyment, fulfillment. Uh mm. I don't have a vision for the outcome of them as a human being walking out, but I think I have a general belief in that we 
are probably going to benefit from breaking down our preconceived ideas of ourselves and how we move through the world and the worlds around us. And I, I, w- I want to break them in myself all the time and question myself. I just, I don't know. I'm also a masochist, I guess. But mm. I like to do that in others because cause I'm, I'm a sadomasochist and because it's been beneficial and I want that rush for myself and the world around me. Yeah. Mm. I mean, but you are only interested, are you, in doing this with people who have paid good money to come and do it with you? It's not like you're unleashing your sadism on stray cats. World. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure that the cats are going to be far more skilled in being sadistic over me than I am them. (laughs) Can you tell I'm a dog person? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too. I mean, you're a person of taste. Uh, and so what does the sadism look like? I mean, when you're, when you're feeling most energized by your own sadism, are you whipping mm. people? Are you swearing at them? Are you spitting at, at, at them? Are you pissing on them? I mean, what's the, you know, what is the most cathartic release? Hmm. I would say that it would have to be about where I am in my, in my mind and life at that point in time. I think if I have had a particular rage that it was left unexpressed, then I would probably find a greater release. And the thing for me would definitely be incorporal, so an impact in whipping somebody. But there can be a very similar rush in just being five steps ahead of somebody conversationally when they're when they're in a consensual space. But like, am I doing this out in the world? It's hard to not let it bleed, but I don't think it's bled in a negative way just yet. <laughs> I think if mm. it's anything, it's benefited the world around me and myself in a positive way. You know, I've me like many other women have learned how to shut up and just let it slide, you know, maybe that's changing for younger generations, but I'm older than I look and it was how I grew up. And so it's taught me how to be artfully vocal around situations where I would normally have shut up. And so that's Mm. been beneficial to me so far. Yeah. What does being five steps ahead of the client conversationally look like? It's very fast. It notices things about the person in front of me that I tell them. So I tell them about themselves, about what they're thinking and why they're thinking that and how that's manifesting and how they're moving and picking apart who they are. And that usually starts to shatter (laughs) them pretty fast so that they become putty and you can Mm. toy with them. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It works. What's that? It works. Yeah. yeah. I'm just thinking of the learning curve that this must in, involve, <laughs> like from your early days in the brothel where, you know, you're a junior mm. person who's just learning the ropes to now having the level of competence or expertise or whatever I said earlier about being in the higher echelons of the of the industry to have the aptitude, yeah, I guess, to to turn those people into 
putty. I mean, do you think of it like that? Do you think of it like the ten thousand hours of work that the you know that the musician has to do to truly master the craft of their instrument? Of course, experience helps, but I think that I grew up in a family where we were always asking questions where we were always examining ourselves and looking out for each other and asking why are you feeling this way? Are you looking that way? So I think that that probably prepped me in a way that maybe other people, families don't necessarily do, gave me leverage. (laughs) And then that kind of fed into a lot of other jobs that I did before this. And Mm -hmm. the one of the more recent ones before I switched into this industry was that I was a researcher and so obviously that helped a lot also. But very quickly, I understood in research, actually, how easy it was to get the answer you wanted if you just asked the right question in the right way. Mm. So it started a long time ago. But obviously, this job has given me opportunity to be more playful with it and to get more experience. Mm. Do you still ask questions like that, like a researcher? Yeah, some of my friends call it question time. (laughs) (laughs) When they just want to chill and I'm just like, but why is it like this? And why is it like, but I don't understand. (laughs) Very annoying, but but I get answers (laughs) and it enriches my life experience. So thank you, friends. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember you once mentioned that one of your clients had like a, some at- emotional attachment to the leg of a chair or the leg of a table or something like that. Does that ring a bell? No, I mean, somebody once hung onto my legs and cried. Maybe it was that. No, it was a physical object. A it was something like a, I mean, I, it was, I don't, it might have been a piece of, it might have been something they put on a shelf or something, but I remember being struck I mean, by the, yeah. the, the idea that a person could have a, a sexual or emotional uh, kinship with a non-mammal, <laughs> or you know, not just a non- <laughs> mammals. Non- we're sticking it. We're restricting it to mammals now. I'm ruling out lizards. You cannot love. You, you cannot love us. Uh, I mean, what is a wedding ring? You know, it's like, what? Oh, you can create emotional legacies to anything with enough yeah, marketing, true. with enough implantation psychologically. Why not? Mm. Mm. I just interviewed a guy who whose wife had dropped their wedding ring off the side of their sailboat after having had it for 40 years. And he spent uh-huh. two years with three professional dive teams, uh, you know, oh. like going through silt at the bottom of the Parramatta River uh, in pitch darkness, <laughs> zero visibility, teaming with bull sharks, and they've finally got it. And uh, I must say, I was thinking the same thing: oh. like, you know, how much are you willing to? I mean, it is just a ring, bro. Yeah. Wow. It's did not- they get it, or did they get somebody else's? Was they it engraved? Got it. They got it. Wow. It was unmistakable. Are they sure? Unmistakable. Wow. I'm not okay. gonna. I'm not gonna start quibbling with their happy story. Okay. Well, yeah, you're not me. That's, yeah, that's right. Um, 
do you have an insight? How do you how do you walk through the world thinking about other people's sexuality and sexual fulfillment, knowing what you know about what exists inside the hearts and loins of your clients? Do you feel like people are self-expressed, uh, suppressed, fulfilled, confused? Perverts. Perverts. Right. All of them. <laughs> I don't really think about it. I go about my day. <laughs> yeah. um, really? If people... I, yeah, I don't think about it. It's if I think if I have, you know, there's a lot of things happening in these interactions and I invest very heavily in them that the rest of my life is fairly serene. Otherwise, I don't know, it wouldn't really suit me. Maybe the intensity would suit other people, but I have like an on and off kind of switch. If somebody is in front of me for long enough or if they are giving me a very difficult time, I think my job has probably allowed me to humanize them a little bit more because I guess I've seen I've had the opportunity to see some fairly dark places in people but still understand that there's a hole at work and so I think maybe it's lent me that but do I think about what are they into what are they no it's maybe maybe I'll see them look at my feet in a certain way and be like okay you like feet but that's about it then I go on and I pay them and I I take my chocolate bar and walk away or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Take my Good luck. Bar and walk away. I hope you get a toe to suck on soon. <laughs> that should be the title <laughs> of your autobiography. I, I take my chocolate bar and I walk away. Uh, I mean, I mean that like, you know, sometimes I will have been on a meditation retreat for five days or something and I'll come back into normie world or I don't know, you know, doing ayahuasca or something like this. And then coming back, getting on a train and looking at everybody going, wow, like, are you, what's going on there? What's going on in your little brain? You know, you fat dumpling of a middle-aged man gazing out the window there. Like what's, you know, what is what's happening here? Like, you know, uh, this kind of voyeuristic sense of like either Mm -hmm. people's potential or people's, uh, yeah, I I don't know. You look at things differently depending on what it is that you've just been doing. I mean, if I'm, if I've been talking to people about their, their professional life or my brother, who's a coach for senior executives has been talking to me about people's professional careers, then yeah, I look at a, a, a platform full of people waiting for a train differently than, I would if I'd spent the past 11 years as a dominatrix, I assume. Okay, so how did I look at people 11 years ago and how do I look at them now? I think with a more compassion, a little bit more and a little bit more understanding. But do I bother look first of all how are you so i used to do vipassana pretty ridiculously far too heavily for for my sanity. And when I would come out of a thing it would it, I would be on overload. I wouldn't be able to think up stories. Everything would just be too much for me. And I think maybe there's something about me that I have my overload in these sessions. And when I go out, I just have to really put my boundaries up. Otherwise, I'm just going to mm. burn out. Mm. I think maybe there's an element of that as well, right. which is also why I right. stopped meditating. <laughs> I was like, this is too much. <laughs> too much information. I do not yeah. need to know this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's interesting that you say compassion. Mm. Mm. Yeah. 
life is hard for people. Life is really hard and accessing these spaces to actually finally enjoy themselves, to let go, to feel like understood or that they can just, you know, say a truth for a moment. It's very difficult for people and I feel for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, I, can I ask you a few first date questions? I always ask guests uh, a few first date questions at the end, and uh, it's uh, basically just mm -hmm. a uh, it's a, a raw shark, right? First thing that comes into your okay. mind for us to get to know you uh, a little better. Um, what what TV shows okay. did you watch as a kid? I was only allowed to watch educational things. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sesame Street. Sesame Street was the go-to. Interesting. probably my favorite yeah, yeah. but don't <laughs> worry your... i managed i figured out how to turn on the chinese soap operas when nobody was home <laughs> is that still something yeah. that you indulge in no but i remember those storylines fondly right right yeah, yeah. what's your go-to alcoholic beverage and your go-to non-alcoholic beverage alcoholic at the moment it's champagne that was just a little taste of our first date questions, which you'll be able to hear all of if you subscribe to Uncomfortable Conversations. Not just the questions, but of course all of our banter around them, which become a subsequent little episode of themselves. Uh, if you do subscribe, you will not only hear that, but you'll also hear no ads on any episode ever. And you'll get additional content, including opportunities to connect directly with me. You can subscribe at uncomfortableconversations.substack.com or follow the links in uh, the, uh, the podcast description. Uh, otherwise, I'll see you next time on Uncomfortable Conversations.